songs and hymns as well. Mark 4, verse 21. This is after Jesus has told the parable of the sower. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, if you get a commentary on the book of Mark and a more popular one, you read it, these words are very quickly skimmed over. And I think it's a shame because these are four sayings of Jesus that I think just teach so much truth in such a a compact space. And especially maybe answering these questions. What are you actually doing here? Why, Why bother coming to church at all? Maybe a lot of different reasons. We want to learn more about Christ. Maybe some of us are Christians, want to learn more about how we witness, about how we share the gospel. Some of us are pretty hungry to receive some kind of spiritual blessing. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I'm just starving. And um, it's a bit depressing when they say that after they come out of the service, I'm still starving. You, you don't want them, you don't want us to be starving, but in a sense, it's even more depressing to hear someone say, I have no spiritual appetite whatsoever. I'm not hungry. I'm not thirsty. Sometimes we come and we come to God's Word. We come to worship, and we're just saying, Lord, just please just give me something to hold on to. Uh, Rory McKenzie, who used to be in a congregation up in Brora, is now lectures in uh, Glasgow, in, I can't remember what it's called now, the International Bible College, I think it's called. It used to be called the Bible Training Institute. I, I say BTI because apparently the nickname for it was the Bridal Training Institute, but it's uh, uh, in that college anyway. He lectures there, and uh, Rory used to say to me, I, I'd ask him about preaching, and he used to say, I kind of, all I want to do is give the person who's struggling something to help them through the week. Well, I think what we have here is a kind of antidote to low expectations as Christians and also something, I hope, that will help us to realize how much we've got. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't have it. If you are a Christian, then you do have it, even though you may feel kind of empty and and flat about a lot of things. So, we're going to look at these four sayings of Jesus and unpack them a little bit, and I hope that you'll see how they apply to you. First is very straightforward, verse 21. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? And that's just simply saying, the light must shine. And that's reflected in two ways. First of all, it just simply means what Jesus is teaching is, Christ must be seen. In the earlier part of the chapter, he's talked about the purpose of parables sometimes being to obscure, not just to explain, but sometimes being to obscure. But here he goes on to say, it's actually, it's only when you see things in the light of Jesus Christ that they make sense. And what's being said here is that Christ has to be seen. 
one day God's kingdom will be plain to all. It's a very simple illustration he uses. Lamps are meant to give life, not hide it. You don't switch on a light and then put a blanket over it. You don't hide it under the bed. And what's being said here is also, of course, true of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. We read in Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you go into John's gospel, if you turn me to John chapter 1, you'll see how John teaches that. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, that's the extraordinary thing about the gospel. And we need, those of us who are Christians, we need to keep reminding ourselves of this because there is an enormous temptation in our culture where so many people are hostile to the gospel that we treat our faith and Jesus Christ and Christianity the same way that they want us to treat it, in other words, as a private hobby. I was involved in a debate once where the guy said to me, I said, what do you, what do you want out of Christianity? You want to ban it? He said, no. He said, I want it to be like a knitting club. Now, you don't go around and announce to people you're in a knitting club. Maybe they can see it every now and then with a the jumper you've got or something, but um, it's a kind of thing. You want to be in a knitting club? Okay, fine. You want to, um, you know, there's all different kinds of clubs that people belong to. We're um, dog sitting, I think you call it. I was going to say dog napping. It's not dog napping. It's dog sitting. We're looking after a dog just now. And, you know, it's, I've discovered this whole new breed of people, not animals, but in Baxter Park, they're the dog walkers, and you walk at the same time, and they, they all know each other's dogs. They don't know each other's names. They, they speak to each other. They'll say, oh, hi, Tess, how are you? And hi, Fido, or, you know, Bulldog, or whatever, and, and they all know each other, and it's quite fascinating. I feel within a week, I've just joined this club, and it's kind of a very privileged club to be part of, and you get a dog so that I can learn to communicate with people. Well, people there are all different kinds of clubs that people have, certain things that you have, certain things that you do, and so on. And there's a club. People have this mentality about being a Christian. Oh, I belong to the club. It's like I belong to the gang. You know, when, well, maybe you didn't do this, but when I was a young boy, uh, belonging to a gang was a great thing, and you made up your secret codes and all that kind of stuff. Well, there are people who think that Christianity is like that, and we should be like that. They say, keep your religion to yourself. But Jesus did not come into the world to be a secret. We live in a place of darkness. We live beside people who do not know. They are living in darkness, but they've not seen the great light. And we need to be that light for them because Christ, well, Christ is the light, and we need to reflect Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't have the option, and the option doesn't exist for saying, well, Christianity is just like one of many different hobbies or one of many different religions. That's it. People are living in darkness, and there is a light, and Christ is that light. And so, Christ must be seen through us. 
truth must be seen. The, the light is put on its stand. And that's hard for us in a culture which loves the darkness, doesn't want the light. They don't care if we just keep it buried. It's like um, Martin Luther with his indulgences, his 95 theses. Um, if you know the story, how he went and nailed it to the church door in Wittenberg. Now, what Luther didn't do was, as a scholar, work out 95 different theses and then say, well, I'm going to share this with my discussion group, or I'm going to share this with people who already agree with me. What he did was, he went to the church of All Saints Wittenberg on the day when the, everyone in the surrounding area came to town, and they came to church because it was All Saints Day. And so he went and boldly nailed his 95 theses to the door. Now, there were people who would have said, Martin, this is not a good idea. You're going to upset people. Uh, Martin, maybe you should talk about it first. Maybe you should infiltrate quietly and so on. But Luther wasn't like that. And thank God he wasn't like that. He just went up and he just banged them on the door. And of course, everyone's going to see them. It was, the mac it was designed for the maximum public impact. Now, I'm not arguing here that we just go for gimmicks and so on and try and do that, but I'm suggesting that, that we, there is a time when we have to stand for the truth, even if it is unpopular. Our Christianity is meant to be seen. At the time the Gospels were written, probably just after Mark's Gospel was written, you were, in, in Roman society, you were given a certificate for sacrificing to the gods. So, you did your sacrifice, you got your certificate. The certificate said that the emperor was a god. You are allowed to have any god you want. You want Jesus as a god, that's fine. But you refuse to sacrifice to the emperor, you are in trouble. Thousands of Christians refused to do so. They did not receive the certificate. Why? Because they had received light and because they knew that they were going to have to communicate that light. In... Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The light of Jesus is, is seen in what we do. It's seen in who we are. It's seen in what we say. So, the first thing there is very straightforward. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I have to shine. And you, as, as my people, have to let that light shine. The option of being secret and hidden Christians is one that is not open to us as believers. The second principle is in verse 22. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Here, Jesus is talking about the effect of the light, and He's saying that everything will be revealed. The truth will out. The truth cannot be hidden. It will come out in the end. Truth can be denied. Truth can be suppressed. Truth can be rejected. Truth can be ignored, but it cannot be destroyed. Truth is indestructible. That's true that's in this life, and that's 
true of the life to come as well. Ultimately, there is nothing that remains hidden, nothing that remains secret. Now, people who refuse to believe in God, who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, do so for many reasons, but one of them is simply this, that it means you can get away with it. It means that you can hide things, but the truth will out. Actually, you can't get away with it. See, uh, again, let me go back to how this applies in terms of Jesus Christ. If you go to Romans 16, verse 25, Paul makes this amazing statement, Romans 16, 25, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You see what Paul is saying to the Romans? He's saying, Jesus Christ was hidden. In the Old Testament, people looked forward to Jesus Christ. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as being of nothing compared uh, with the treasures of Egypt. Oh, the the other way around, he regarded the treasures of Egypt as being of nothing compared with the benefit of being able to suffer disgrace for Christ. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand on the earth. David looked forward to when his descendant would sit on the eternal throne. But they didn't know. They didn't know who Jesus was. But now, says Paul to the Romans, this great mystery, how is God going to save the world? How is God going to be just and forgive the world? How is God going to deal with suffering? How is God going to deal with human sin? This great mystery has been revealed, and it's been revealed not as a secret, but it's been revealed in Jesus Christ. The mystery has now been made known. Back in Mark's gospel and in chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come, said John, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It is a new revelation. Things have been revealed. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. That has already been revealed, and that will continue to be revealed. We keep teaching and we keep proclaiming Jesus Christ. And that, by the way, is surely something that we, we need to apply to ourselves again and again, because what the church is too good at doing is we are far too good at talking about ourselves. We are far too good at saying, we are this and we are that and come to us and you will get this. Whereas in reality, it's not about us, it is about Jesus. And people in this city are in great darkness. And let's be honest, the light of Christ is not really shining. It's not. People don't know about Jesus. They're not rejecting Jesus because they don't know anything about Jesus. And we as Christians, to, to a large extent, the churches are treating the gospel as though it's some kind of mystery to be kept only for ourselves. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's to be like you go up the law and that used to be where you would light beacons and so on and you would see. You've got to be able to see. People have got to be able to see. Christ must be out. 
if you see what I mean. It must be open and public and clear. We are talking about Jesus. We are not going to allow him to be put as an idol on a mantelpiece or to be hidden away as some kind of religious figure. He is, it is, as Paul said in Romans, it is that all the nations would obey him and follow him. Now, that statement of Christ about the truth being out, that's also true about ourselves. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Matthew 12, verse 36 says, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And Revelation 20, verse 11 says this, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. There's nothing that you or I have done or said that ultimately can or will be hidden, except, of course, what we are told about the sins of believers, that they are cast away to the bottom of the sea, that they are forgotten because of what Christ has done. But we ourselves, that's why hypocrisy is so stupid. It really is the ultimate stupidity thinking that we will get away with it. You all know the illustrations of the child who goes into the fridge or the freezer and gets the chocolate ice cream and then tries to hide the fact that they've taken the chocolate ice cream and their face is covered in chocolate ice cream. It, it, you know, it's just stupid for the child to think that they will get away with it. It's as though um, you go speeding along the road somewhere, not that I would ever have done this, of course, and, uh, and you think, the light didn't flash. And then the thing comes through, you, you, you haven't got away with it. You, you've been caught. We, we just don't. The, the truth will always out. That's why, again, you see, when Christians freak out and say, oh, it's terrible, the truth is being suppressed, and this is not being... Look, the truth will always out, and God will bring every hidden thing to judgment. It's a very important principle in terms of communicating the gospel and also in terms of how we live. The third principle Verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. It's kind of giving and getting. Now, what Jesus is saying here is you reap what you sow. He tells us that we are to listen carefully and to consider carefully, verse 24, what you hear. Now, here's why, and it's a, an important understanding of where you and I are at. We far too often listen conditionally. We're like those of whom Paul says to Timothy, in the latter days they will gather around teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Listening conditionally is that we hear what we want to hear and we block the mind from everything else. We are selectively deaf. Now, we all do that. Those of you who are in a married relationship, I challenge you, maybe I'm wrong, but surely you've experienced your partner hearing something and not hearing other things that you've said. You find that with your kids as well. You know, it's extraordinary. You shout their name, you shout their name, and they don't, they don't hear you. They are completely oblivious to the fact that you exist or that you're calling them. You whisper that 
you're going out to the cinema or something, you've got, they're down like a shot. What? Selective hearing. No, sometimes it's not even deliberate. Sometimes it's just, you, you know, you're in a, with a friend and you're having a conversation and you're a bit bored with your friend and they're just, yep, 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 yep. And then they say something that you actually want to hear and suddenly everything changes. Well, we do that with the gospel a lot. We do that with the Bible a lot. The great temptation for those of us who teach and preach is that we tell people what we th they think they want to hear, and especially in our culture again, because you don't have to come to church. You can always, there's always another church that you can go to. If the preacher ever upsets you or bores you or anything else, then bye-bye. You can do that. So, the big temptation, of course, is for preachers to try and be clever and funny and witty and, and, and tell you everything that you want to hear, which is, of course, impossible because you can't please all of the people all of the time. And in the case of the St. Peter's congregation, you're struggling to please any of them any of the time. But it's, it's a difficult thing to do, to do that. And it's wrong in terms of hearing as well. Jesus is saying, consider carefully what you hear. Go deep. In other words, he's saying, don't be frightened of the light. Don't be superficial in listening to me. That's true of study, for example. A superficial study of the Bible means that you will get very little from it. The deeper you go in, not as mystery, but as revealing Jesus Christ, the more thrilling it is. That's true of worship also. The more we bring, the more we'll get. I've done this. I've gone to a service and come out and said, oh, I didn't get much from that. Why? Singing was dreadful. Preaching was dull. Um, you know, and, and probably a correct analysis in some ways. But there's still something within which says, wait a minute, what did you actually put in? If we come just to get, we will get very little. What can you contribute to the, the worship of God's people? You come with expectation. You come with preparation. You come being determined to give yourself in worship. It's kind of the detached. There's sort of two versions of this. There's the uncool, staid Presbyterian who's sitting there basically either falling asleep or saying, well, I don't want to be too emotional, and I'm just going to check that this guy is sound. And the person who's constantly analyzing. And then there's the sort of mega cool, laid back, sort of hip young person who's just, just too cool to get too caught up in things. You know, chill, relax, enjoy, let God speak. If he doesn't speak, it's okay, come back another time. You know, th that kind of person. And both are wrong because we are here to worship the living God. And we come not as detached observers, but as full participants. You get out of worship what you put in. Actually, he says you get much more and even more. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Same with personal relationships. You may have the somewhat immature and childish point of view. Perhaps it's unfair on the children to say this, but certainly it is immature. That you have this idea that people can love you and give you what you want, and you, it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to have any real input in that at all. They love you, of course, because you're lovable. They love you because, you know, 
It's the very opposite of the poverty in spirit that we read about earlier. The more you put into personal relationships, the more you'll get out of them. Same is also true of giving. And in terms of our attitude, that's what Paul in his teaching on uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we'll not read them just now, where it says, you know, God loves a generous giver. There are reluctant givers who give just because they have to, because they want to be seen to give, because they feel guilty if they don't. And they just don't understand this principle. If we are open and generous, we will find that we receive back far more than we can give. As uh, the cliche goes, you can never outgive God. So, is that principle, the third principle then for Jesus is that of giving and getting, that we, we give and we receive as we give. Then the fourth, this is the harder one, the one we have most difficulty with. Verse 25, whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, here's the problem. We can understand the idea of light. We think we can. We know the message of giving, but whoever has will be given more. That doesn't seem right, does it? You know, surely people who've got a lot, we should, they should be taken from so that it can be given to people who don't have enough. We know in the world that it seems that those who have plenty always seem to get more. It's a bit like when people with mortgages. People who need mortgages, desperately need them, can't get them. People who can give 50% uh, of whatever, they get a mortgage dead easy because they've got lots of money. Is Jesus justifying greed and exploitation? Is Jesus kind of teaching that the more you get, the more you have, the more you should get? Well, I think this is what is happening. The parables filter the truth. The disciples have to absorb it. Jesus is teaching that only as we are willing to respond and able to understand that we grow and develop. And what he's speaking of here is spiritually, that there's no such thing as standing still in the spiritual life. In other words, God is not saying, okay, here's everyone in St. Peter's today, and here there are Christians here, and this Christian's doing really, really well, and this person's not doing so well, and this person's really backslidden, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to level it all out, I'm going to knock that person down a peg or two, and I'm going to bring them all up to the same level. That's not what being said. Jesus is actually going the opposite way. He's saying, the more you've got of me, the more you will get. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says this, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If we need to grow, if, sorry, if, if, if we want to develop as Christians, then we, of course we need to grow. Without growth, we shrink. And some of us have got in that spiral, a negative spiral, where spiritually we are shrinking, spiritually we are emptying. See, let me put it another way. The more we know, the more we are capable of knowing. It's like music. There are some people who are apparently geniuses who can sit down at a piano and just play. But most people, you study it, you read music, you learn to read music, you go to piano lessons. The more you know, the better you can play. If you um, were ever to learn Greek, then you need to learn the principles of Greek grammar before you would read Greek literature. I'm sorry, but there's just hard work involved in that. We're learning all the time. It's the same with physical strength. 
If we, um, those of us who are going to be doing this run in September, and some of us had better start practicing very soon, uh, cannot really expect to go out in September and run eight miles or 26 miles or whatever. The more you practice, the more you, the more you get. Same with any skill or craft. We develop our skills. Same with responsibility. The more you handle responsibility, the more you can use. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you have money, it's easier to make money. If you have the teaching of Jesus, it's easier to understand and get more. So here's the deal. It's not that God is saying, well, I want all my people to be exactly the same. He's saying this, you go for me. You really go for it. You go for this learning because the more you get, the more you will get. That's how God works. He adds gift to gift. He adds grace to grace. Before they call, I will answer. There's always something more. There's always something extra. Now, we either accept this from a generous and giving God and thus receive His gifts, or we refuse it and lose the lot. I don't believe that. I can't believe that. I don't accept that. I don't want that. Jesus says, no, listen, grasp this. John 1 verse 16, from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Paul says in Romans, if He gave us Christ, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? So, for me, the way I would, I would put this is, and I, I hope this analogy works for you. It kind of worked for me, but when I was thinking about it, I wasn't so sure. It's a bit like two different attitudes to God. There are those of us who are Christians, and we are like Oliver Twist Christians. We're coming up to God as beggars, saying, please, sir, can I have some more? I would like this blessing. I would like that blessing. I would like... And we... I think it's our attitude to God that's wrong there. Seeing God as somehow who someone who is going to be influenced by our pleadings, or a God who is distant and detached, or even cruel. Or, dare I say it, sometimes we're even coming saying, please can I have some more, because I've been a really good boy, and I've done this, and I've done that. And here for me is what Jesus is saying here, it's the, it's, and, and what's being taught in this gospel, and it is to do with all the other principles as well, and so we'll finish with this. You don't get the crumbs. You get the fullness of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not the beggar coming up with the bowl a bit afraid that uh, the bad guy, the, the slave master is going to whip you, but he might give you a little bit more gruel. You're coming into the presence of the king with his son, and his son is saying, Dad, these are my brothers and sisters. These are my friends. So, what's really being grasped here is that we, when we realize we're coming with Jesus, with Christ, we have everything. Whoever has will be given more. You've got Jesus Christ. You have, you have, the, the blessings have just begun. You are going to get a whole lot more. If you do not have, then even what you have will be taken from you. If you don't have Jesus Christ, then even the benefits that you enjoy that come from God will ultimately be taken from you. That, of course, is ultimately hell because that's where every good gift is taken away. Well, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. No, it's not fair at one level. It's not fair because all of us, none of us deserve God's mercy. All of us deserve God's condemnation. And yet, in His unfairness, God sent His Son so that we 
could have all our filthy rags taken away and be clothed in the full righteousness and glory of Jesus Christ. You do not get half of it. You do not get just a little bit of Jesus. You do not get just a little bit of blessing. You get the whole works or nothing. So the whole thing really boils down to this, whether we have what Paul describes in Corinthians as the greatest gift. Thanks be to God for His greatest gift. Do we have Christ? And if we have Christ, then we are light in the darkness. If we have Christ, then we are generous in giving. Why? Because we've, along with Christ, we richly receive everything else. And that's why the key to growth in the Christian life and the key when we have this sense of emptiness is not to go out and say, well, if only I had this spiritual experience or if only I had this teaching or if only I did this, then God would bless me. It is to recognize that God has already richly blessed us. Every blessing we've received in Jesus Christ. When we have Christ, we have absolutely everything. Go read Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And read the rest of it about the Spirit coming through Christ and nothing being able to separate us from the love of Christ. So, the progressing or regressing in the Christian life, we regress in the Christian life when we look away from Christ, when we don't see Christ, when we start turning religious, when we start turning in on ourselves, when we start looking to anything and anyone except Jesus except Jesus Christ. But we progress when we see it's, we've got absolutely everything in Him. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. See, it's a bit, can I, can I say this? It's a little bit blasphemous for you as a Christian to moan, oh Lord, I haven't got this and I haven't got that and you haven't given me this and why is my life so tough and why am I so cold and why is it so miserable and please grant me this. And, and what you don't realize is that the Lord is saying to you, I've given you it. I've given you it all. Open your eyes. See what you have. And if you change that perspective, it changes just absolutely everything. You have no idea, well maybe you do have an idea, but just how much uh, it changes everything when we see it in that way. The, um, we, we laugh uh, a little bit at this. Uh, Mark taught us a song, I've Been Accepted, which is a nice wee jaunty wee song, and it's a great song, and it kind of the tune sticks in your head. But that's actually quite good, because the tune sticks in your head, because it makes the words stick in your head, and the words are, I've been accepted. What more could you ask for than to be accepted by God and to be accepted by Christ? There's nothing you can do that undoes that acceptance, and there's nothing you can do that can make you more accepted. It's not, well, I'm kind of in a little bit, and I'll get in deeper, I'll get in, you know, I've been accepted. That's it. You belong. The light has shined in the darkness. It's shined in the darkness of our own hearts. And you know, maybe what we need more and more is to stop listening to the devil, to stop listening to the father of lies, to stop listening to the darkness of our own hearts, and just to let the light shine and to know that with Christ, absolutely everything completely changes. May God bless His Word. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. 
Send out your light and your truth. Lord, let your light shine in this dark city, in this dark country, in this dark world. We thank you that it is. Let it shine more. And let your light shine in our hearts, the light of the knowledge of God in Christ being shed abroad in our hearts. And, O oh Lord, help us to see that if we belong to you, if anyone here doesn't belong to you, Lord, let them come to know you. And those of us who do, forgive us when we keep chasing after the crumbs that this world offers and we do not see the fullness and the feast that we have in you. Help us to feast at your table, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Psalm 43. Let's finish by singing.